0: this reading from the book of Exodus, beginning in chapter 16, verse 2. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them, whether they will follow my instruction or not. not. On the sixth day, when they prepare, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, the Lord spoke to Moses, and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, they are on the service wilderness was a fine, flaky substance as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, "What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, "It is the bread that the Lord has given you to." And now receive this reading from Psalm 105: "O oh, give thanks to the Lord, call on His name, make known His deeds among the peoples." Sing to him sing praises to him test of his wonderful works glory in his holy name let the hearts of those who seek the lord rejoice seek the lord and his strength seek his presence continually remember the wonderful works he has done his miracles and the joy of God, o offspring of his servant abraham children of jacob his chosen ones when he summoned famine against the land and broke every staff of bread He had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, and released him. The ruler of the peoples set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions, to instruct his officials at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel came to Egypt as an alien in the land of Ham. He sent his servant Moses and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his signs among them, and miracles in the land of Ham. Then he brought Israel out with silver and gold, and there were tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for dread of them had fallen upon it. He spread a cloud for a covering, and fire to give light by night. They asked, and he brought quails, and gave them in abundance. He opened the rock, and water gushed out of it it flowed through the desert like a river. For he remembered his holy promise, and Abraham his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with sin. He gave them the lands of the nations, and they took possessions of the wealth of the peoples, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Receive what the Spirit is
1: I invite you now, together with all of us gathered in this place, to pray together. God, thank you for your amazing grace, for your guidance, for your presence, for the ways that you are present to us all the time, drawing us to you and to your love, and then sending us back into our other relationships with others. In this moment, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, for you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Remember the wonderful works God has done, a line from our psalm today. Today is a day to remember and to give thanks steadfast love and mercy and provision, and for the reconciling witness of our beloved church foundry. You know, it is, and I'm so grateful for Joshua's witness, Us not to take for granted, not to forget, not to skip over the remembering and giving thanks for the things that we have for this beautiful blessing that is foundry and our reconciling Witness, sometimes new days, pressing concerns and to-do lists and distractions and distressing headlines, it can be easy to skip over remembrance and thanksgiving. true for me, I don't know about you, but it's especially true for me when I am really tired or sick or anxious about something or hungry. I'm right there with the Israelites complaining. After all, we've been wandering with the with the community of God's people in various places over these many weeks of our Family Matters series, and so where some of some of what they've been through. Today, we meet them in the wilderness, six weeks after the Exodus from Egypt, six weeks after the great miracle. Uh, at the Sea of Reeds, and things are going so well. I want you to keep in mind that the text tells us that there were 600,000 men on foot. That doesn't count the women and children. And then there's also, we're told in chapter 12 of Exodus, a mixed crowd, of various nationalities and ethnicities who had also escaped with the Israelite people into the wilderness. You know, I had never known that. Isn't that interesting? Anyway, so there's 600,000 plus women and children plus a mixed crowd of, if we don't know how many, people and birds making their way across and through the wilderness. And I'm just saying it was a lot to manage. It's a lot of people to move, and It's complicated. I mean, just think about any group taken and then multiply that by a gazillion. And you've got some context in your mind. You know, there were reasons for complaining, I imagine. Somebody had gotten a <laughs> nerve. Anyway, in our text, the... The promised land that they were, had been promised was nowhere in sight. They were low on provisions. Professor Will Gaffney writes, the only thing the pillar of cloud and fire was leading them to was more sand. The people were so weary and so anxious about their situation that they rewrite history, remembering the mortality and the lack in their enslaved lives in Egypt, but rather making stuff up about how great and bountiful the food was. When we're in a really bad place, with all sorts of things to try to distract us, if we can blame someone else for our situation. There were, in fact, good reasons to be upset during the wilderness journey. They had been displaced, they were uncertain, they were hungry. And while it might be tempting for us to get just a tad judgy about the people's failure to remember and to give thanks to God because of God's mercy upon them in the past, or the is to translate the story to ourselves and start getting judgy with ourselves about how we tend to forget and not remember and give thanks. But here's the thing, God doesn't get judgy in the story. That's not what God does. In our text, just as God received and responded to the cries of the enslaved Israelites in Egypt, God receives and responds to their cries. God comes to Moses and speaks directly to the need for food and then describes how it's going to happen. And God says, it's going to be just a little bit of a test in the evening meat will be and in the morning bread from heaven. And the people are to gather only enough of the bread to feed their household for that day. Bread, by the way, we call it manna in the wilderness. The Hebrew is manhu, two words, manhu, which literally means, what is it? So every day they were gathering up, what is it? Man uh, manhu, Man Your fun fact for this Sunday. Okay. Anyway, so they're supposed to get only enough food for that day. And on the sixth day, they're supposed to gather up double because on the seventh day, the bread from heaven cafe is closed for the Sabbath you Have to carry them over. Now, if you read more of, and so God gives these provisions, if you read more of the story, you will see that some failed God's test and tried to change the rules and gathered more than their daily bread. And the extra they gathered rotted overnight. And then there were some who didn't believe that they, you know, were gonna just take enough for to carry them over through the Sabbath, so they went out looking for bread on the Sabbath. Guess what? No bread there. Now, all of this detail in this story may seem nitpicky or boring or superfluous to the story, but I want you to think about this. The Israelites lived for hundreds of years enslaved in Egypt, where they constructed houses for other people's food, where they were exposed constantly to hoarding and competitive behavior, where human lives were abused and broken in order to feed the hunger. They were surrounded by food and bounty, but it was not theirs, and it was never shared equitably, no matter what they said in their tantrum. There was no rest for the enslaved people, they labor to feed and make life comfortable for others. God's gift of manna and quails or some kind of birds. And the careful instruction to receive it did more than just feed their hunger. It created a daily rhythm of gathering and sharing, of not taking more than is necessary, and a weekly rhythm of Sabbath rest. It also provided a daily opportunity to trust in God's providence and provision. What a different life than in Egypt. The rhythms of this new community provide a reliable constant in the midst of the uncertainty of the wilderness journey. 40 years this i think is a powerful text for this last sunday in our family matters series and for our 28th anniversary of becoming a reconciling for those who may not know what that is it means that foundry took a stand 28 years ago for full affirmation inclusion and justice for lgbtq plus siblings and made a pledge not only to have a public welcome statement but to join with other churches to advocate for changes in the denomination that would allow for marriage and ordination and full inclusion at every level of the church. We celebrate that decision today. And so this story in our text is a moment of generational formation or reformation of God's people after all the drama we've explored in the stories of our ancestral foundry uh, family that were found in Genesis and Exodus. And as with all of those stories, of our ancestors' journey has something to say to us today. A key characteristic of God revealed in the ancestral family stories is that God receives and responds to the cries of the oppressed and to speak truth to power and to be agents of liberation and new life. In our age, God has perceived the hatred and judgmentalism pre-pulpits and the exclusion and disregard of the dignity and sacred worth of LGBTQ siblings that is exhibited by so many communities of faith. God has also received the cries of LGBTQ plus siblings, cries for justice, for inclusion, for respect, for love. And God has called prophets within every denomination, within every faith tradition, from within the community to do the work of liberation through contextual readings of the biblical texts that are so often used as weapons, to do the work of liberation through eradication and practices in the church and in the world that deny work and ordination and membership and marriage, and through deep emotional, psychological, and soul-healing modalities that set our bodies free from self-hatred and the wounds of a world that has not affirmed them in their full, beautiful, created nature. Today, we give thanks to God for all of the progress that has been made in this journey. And we give thanks today for the prophets within our own denomination and congregation who have led in ways that have been liberating and life-giving. By beautiful coincidence, or perhaps movement of spirit or both, Mark Bowman, who is one of the two founders of the Reconciling Movement, is present with us in worship right now, right back there. And we welcome you with gratitude. Thank you. It was Mark who inspired his friend and foundry member, self described hesitant leader Ralph Williams, who's also in the house today. Ralph and encouraged Ralph to bring the reconciling conversation to Foundry, and Ralph had the opportunity to do that. He was serving as the chair of Religion, Race, and Culture Committee and brought it to the Council on Ministries, was then sent to what was the second convocation, and uh, then was asked by the the Council on Ministries to bring a report back about the experience so that there could be further conversation. Um, Ralph told me that it was six or seven years between that initial and the decision by the administrative board, the vote, uh, to become a reconciling congregation. The journey to that vote was not easy. It was not simple. It's not something we should ever take for granted. I'll just keep brain. There are many in this space who were in the room, rooms where it happened. All of the various places and conversations and gatherings and meetings and studies and all of the things that churches do to be faithful and working through a difficult issue. Because here's the thing, while there was great commitment to many issues related to the support of LGBTQ persons, the issue of becoming a reconciling congregation was divisive. And so, the conversation went on and on. At a certain point near the time of the vote, there had been a six-month time of preparation leading up to the vote at the administrative board, and a small group was called in to to consider people who represented different positions on the issue were called in to to look at a proposal for a compromise that would have said, we're not going to vote, I'm assuming, and I need to follow up, but let me say, I'm going to assume, you can give me a thumbs up on this, Ralph, The issue was that we didn't want to have the conflict of a vote, because votes, you know, votes are votes. And so that compromise position was that we were going to have a welcoming statement to welcome LGBTQ people, but we would not officially become a reconciling congregation because that would require not only a statement, but also working publicly with other churches to advocate for change in the church Some people saw this as potentially a political statement, right? Um, But a political statement that would be divisive. So the compromise was to to stop there. And Ralph said, no. (laughs) Ralph said no. He, of course, wasn't alone, but he was in that room when that happens and I have it from his mouth. So what we know is that there are people who have stood up and who have said that brought us to this turning point in our life together as a congregation. And so today we give thanks for Mark. We give thanks for Ralph. We give thanks for Peter. We give thanks for Paul. We give thanks for so, so, so many of you. I tried to name all of them. I couldn't. Who have led this congregation so faithfully so faithfully through the years. We give thanks for those known and unknown whose courage and faithfulness and organizing skill and visionary love the turning point in Foundry's history 28 years ago when we were able to make this shift and become a reconciling church. It's like the Israelites who received manna and Sabbath. It was a moment of new creation, of new kind of community formed. And it was not without pain and loss but it was with great power and sustaining hope for the future. And we give thanks for the ways that our reconciling journey has been led by spirit and spirit leaders at every level, from our extraordinary lay leadership in this congregation to our clergy and our staff. And many of you know we are in a moment of deep division in the United Methodist Church. Many congregations across the connection leaving because they will not support a truly inclusive community that ordains based on gifts and graces and that marries people based on loving commitment. In the midst of all of that, we remember and celebrate today the powerful impact of the reconciling movement in the denomination. And we celebrate how far we at Foundry have come and the impact made as Foundry Church on ordination and on marriage equality and on the, and the countless lives, countless lives that have been changed through our welcome and our witness. We engage in the rituals of gathering and worshiping God and supporting one another. We we. We participate in the rituals of receiving the grace of God that gives us freedom and power to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in the forms it presents themselves. We gather and we receive ritually through worship and service and prayer the invitation again and again to be part of a church that God has opened to people of all ages, sexualities, gender identities, and races. These rituals of our lives are the reliable constant that gives shape to our Foundry community and ground us in the midst of challenge, and they strengthen us for the ongoing journey toward that vision of true, beloved community where all people are valued and embraced as children of God and persons of sacred worth. This year, marks 40 years of the Reconciling Movement, like the 40 years the Israelites journeyed through the wilderness. We have not yet reached this land. We are not yet the church that we long for as a denomination. We have not yet impacted more fully the the whole world that vision of beloved community. But we are assured today that we're going to get there. We may not see it, but we're going to get there. We have been assured today that God is to provide day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, manna for this beautifully diverse community with whom we travel. And Sabbath for weary sojourners, sufficient for every need. Remember the good works God has done and give thanks. Amen.